Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from the Mighty Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And today, I am here to bring you another episode of the Franco Observer Podcast, this being episode 151, film 167, Vampire Blues. So... Um, before we get to Vampire Blues, let me tell you where we are at in the Desperate Divisions timeline. Right now, we are in pre-production on the short film, The Amityville Killer, which will be part of the Amityville Aliens feature anthology film, helmed by Mr. Donald Farmer, and that should be out in 2024. So, be on the lookout on your favorite social media platform and look up Amityville Aliens and you'll see all that's going through there. And I am on post-production of Shino's Ferratu, which would be film 18 or so uh, from Desperate Visions Productions. So uh, yeah, keep that on your radar and we should have that out ready to roll by the end of this year of 2023. So that's where we're at on the home front, and now here's where we were at on the Jess Franco front. We are on Vampire Blues, like I mentioned before, uh, film 167. This is, of course, the one-shot productions, the uh, digital age, the video age of Jess Franco. This is a U.S. video DVD title made in the year of 1998, uh, USA. Copyright 1999, one-shot productions, alternative titles, Los Blues del Vampiro, Spanish video DVD, uh, Vampire Blues, alternate Spanish title. Trailer title for this is Vampire Sex, which uh, I guess they just jump right in and uh, take out any of the um, guess work of what this film may be. And the German title is Vampire Sex slash Lady Dracula Part 3. So, uh, yeah, I don't know about what Lady Dracula 1 and 2 were, but must be one of those uh, deals like uh, La Casa or uh, something zombie where it's an unofficial sequel to films made by other people. Uh, the production company on this, of course, once again, One Shot Productions. You got one shot to watch this, and that's about it, so... That's out of the USA. Uh, also, the USA production company, the second one is Los Dos Hombres. The one hombre, so it must be Jess Franco. Uh, video DVD distributor on this is Sub Rosa Studios out of the USA and Velevision out of Spain. Timeline uh, shooting date on this is 1998. The U.S. release copyright is 2000. Uh, came out in Spain, an Impacto Films DVD, 2002. And finally played the Spain Velevision reissue, July of 2010. Running time on this, uh, Spanish DVD is 90 minutes, 45 seconds. And the U.S. one-shot DVD is down to 67 minutes, 48 seconds. And if you've listened to past episodes on this, you know my uh, disdain and um, kind of fervor for these types of films. So I guess the uh, 23 minutes less 
running time is a blessing in disguise. So, all right, uh, director on this, of course, you don't know, you obviously would know because that's why you're listening to this is Jess Franco. Writer, of course, Jess Franco. Producers, Kevin Collins, Peter J. Ivanko. Associate producers, Hugh Gallagher and Karen Wong. Not the uh, Dr. Wong's virtual hell, but Karen Wong. Uh, music, Jess Franco, uh, Daniel J. White. Incidental music is Brian Horowitz and uncredited Randy Manos. And that's not Manos, the hands of fate. That's just Randy Manos. Uh, Vampire Blues Alternate Themes by Brian Horwitz, performed by the Ubangis, which is the Fake Cramps Band. Uh, 1998, out of Trash Palace, Director of Photography, uh, Raquel Cabra, actually Jess Franco. Online Editor and Effects, uh, Juan Jose Velar. Uh, Makeup Effects, Eve El Saltenco. Um, production manager Josh Kalman, first assistant director Pedro Timbori, and let's see what else we got. Camera assistant A. Renford, uh, best boy, we got a special effects person Jose Sanchez Miranda, not Soldad Miranda. Uh, let's see, well, he's got quite a bit here in this era. It's funny, the more people he has working for him, the less quality of the film is compared to when he was doing his own stuff down back. It was a lot better. Uh, so it looks like this was actually made with Trash Palace, which is funny because they're one of the ones that sells a lot of the Jess Franco uh, gray market stuff nowadays. So it's interesting because we see here um, additional credits for One Shot w- website, uh, the Bangies, written by, uh, re edited by Jess Franco, copyright 1998, Trash Palace. American version edited and prepared by Kevin Collins, produced by One Shot Productions, and looks good. Okay, all right. Cast on this: uh, Raquel Cabra as Rachel Shepard plays the role of Rachel Crosby, and that's not uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, or Young, but Rachel Crosby. Uh, Analia Ivarez, who's always a highlight in these era of films, plays Countess Irina von Murnau. Uh, Lena Romay, of course, plays Marja, a gypsy fortune-teller. Not a bank teller, but a fortune-teller. Uh, Jess Franco, of course, plays the merchant. Peter Timburi plays the knave. Additional credits from One Shot website. American voice artist Jessica Loal plays Rachel Crosby. And Leora Zuberman plays Countess Irina von Mirnau. All right, uh, I'm going to skip the synopsis because we always give that on the second portion, the review portion. Uh, but we will jump through the production notes. Filmed back-to-back with Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, with which it shares a couple of locations, Vampire Blues was made, despite what the credits say, with a crew of just five. That's interesting. Uh, Joaquin Sanchez, Miranda, Raquel Cabra, Emilio Skarz Godowski, Pedro Timbori, and a friend called Manalo. The shooting of both films took just two weeks. That makes sense. A similar schedule to the one that produced Franco's Brace of Machis films in 1973. Much of the film was shot on a mini-DV video camera. Panasonic 3 CCD Zoom Digital 500X. So there you go. 
So if you want to film a film on the same camera Franco did, you got to buy a mini DV video camera, the Panasonic 3CCD Zoom Digital 500X. Review by Stephen Thrower. Of course, all information taken out of the book, Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by the mighty Stephen Thrower. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. Uh, Toiling behind the perennial problems of the one-shot era <laughs> is, the, is this haunting excursion into mood and menace. Minimalist, even by Franco's standards, Vampire Blues has only three narrative elements. A lonely woman on holiday by the sea, a predatory lesbian vampire stalking her, and a gypsy fortune teller who decides to help the victim. Very little happens, but Franco spins out the lonely wanderings of this heroine and gives the film a fragile sort of magic, harking back to his early 1980s exercise in gloomy minimalism. Sadly, a potentially atmospheric project sags beneath a host of encumbrances. Worst of all is the decision to shoot on videotape, a constant thorn in the flesh of Franco's later work, which doesn't really help when you're aiming for a strange and dislocated atmosphere. A less oneric medium is hard to imagine. Have you ever woken up and tried to describe a dream, only for the cold light of day to make what was weird and marvelous sound empty and banal? Film is the dream. Video is the cold light of day. Then there's the music of the Ubangis, whose cheerfully rough-hewn brand of shockabilly is completely unsuited to a melancholy film like this. Here, here. On screen, Franco is spinning a 90-minute tone poem about lust and loneliness. On the soundtrack, the band are plowing an exuberant 50s rock and roll groove with their horror-loving tongues firmly in cheek. Yuck. I tell you, man, they're a fake or cramps band, in my opinion. Uh, these are two completely different emotional flavors, and they don't really belong on the same plate. Vampire Blues is Raquel Cabra's most prominent role for Jess Franco, and she's ideally suited to the part. She moves with a somber pensiveness that makes you worry for her as she strays into danger. Apart from Lena Romay, she's probably the most compelling female presence in the one-shot films. Hmm. Having started off working behind the camera, her lack of acting experience is noticeable from time to time, although it really only shows in a handful of scenes. For instance, when we see her asleep on the beach, head tossing the way, this way and that way in the throes of an uneasy dream. Suddenly she wakes and sits upright in shock. We've seen this countless times in Franco's cinema. It's one of the leitmotifs of his supernatural tales. The dreamer, shocked awake by a dream, too terrible to sleep, only to find the real world equally frightening. Cabra, however, could have done with a few more takes. In fact, what we see looks more like an actor's run-through before the camera starts rolling. You would have thought that shooting on video would allow for more takes to get things right, but instead Franco worked at the same breakneck pace as though film were rattling through the camera. This may have been because of the shockingly low budgets involved, but it also suggests that Franco was addicted to filming at speed even which he could have possibly taken more time, which I myself have that same uh, dilemma. Nevertheless, Cabra's introverted acting fits with the mood of the film and makes her a plausible weaker soul for the vampire to prey upon. It's just a shame that she's dubbed in the English language version by someone called Jessica Luau, who speaks her few lines of dialogue as if deliberately sending up the actress. Anelia Ivars, who plays the wonderfully named Countess Irina von Murnau, has already worked with Franco many times, starting with 
La Blues de Kelly Pop and El Juntamito de la Casa Usher in 1982. She's usually reliable even in the video productions. She's enjoyably sleazy, for instance, in Luster Frankenstein and uh, I would also say in Tender Flesh, um, which makes her performance here all the more puzzling. Perhaps influenced by the American actresses turning up in Franco's 90s work, she plays the part as though she's on stage at a fetish club on goth night or a goth club on fetish night. <laughs> Why does she constantly look at the camera? What possibly good can it do in a film of this sort for the villainess to glower seductively into the lens, snarling and baring her teeth as if posing for the cover of Draculina or Scream Queens Illustrated? The worst instance comes when Irina bites her live-in love slave, played by production manager and organizational linchpin Pedro Timbori. Franco has the actress look up from the victim's bloody neck and stare straight down into the camera lens, snarling sexily with bloody teeth. This sort of thing might float a few boats when printed on a pull-out magazine poster, but it doesn't belong in the movie. It's so tacky that it seriously jeopardizes one's attempt to believe in the film. Such a self-consciously performative version of female sexuality is a recurring canker in Franco's video productions. I am well aware of the modernist tradition of Brechtian alienation. I have supped my fill of art, cinema, in this mode, but I find this persistent urge to break the fourth wall annoying and incoherent. By way of illustration, let's compare Vampire Blues with Vampiros Lesbos, Franco's first sapphic vampire of tale made in 1970. When the stunning Soledad Miranda looked into the lens, she did so just once while performing her nightclub routine. In other words, her stage performance justifies her gaze to the camera. She doesn't just stare down the lens for no reason. The same thing goes for sexy dancing. In Vampiros Lesbos, Soledad Miranda dances during her nightclub act, but when she's on stage, she's cool, elegant, and composed. In Vampire Blues, when Rachel enters the Murnau mansion, she finds the Countess dancing in her boudoir like a cable TV sex worker. Wow. Performing sundry erotic gestulations in lieu of an introduction. This is all delivered straight to camera with Ivers making eye contact with the lens. It's a mode of address heavily influenced by horror magazine photo spreads featuring blood-drenched naked babes, and it means that instead of imaginatively entering the world of film, we stand at the portal of our TV screens, being eyeballed by hot chicks who are selling the wrong product. Not immersion in a fictional world, but a fraudulent promise of sex aimed directly at the consumer. Hot babes, a panting consumers, who needs fictions? Cut out the middleman. In Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, shot back-to-back -back with Vampire Blues, Franco established a link between the digital degradation of the image and the theme of the film. Here, the same post-production tinkering has no such coherence. The first major blaze of actual FX of purrs when Rachel meets Countess Irina. It is meant to be a representation of the vampire's magnetism, the, pool of the power of her will. If so, what about the next day when Rachel attends a fortune teller show in the room and everyone in it is swamped with patches of electric blue? Is this how Rachel now sees the world after a night of vampire sex? Sadly not. The reversed angle shots of Rachel in the audience are also colored blue. In other words, no coherent point of view is attached to the effect. There you go. The twist ending could be used to weave away such criticism, but only because it resurrects the moldiest trick in the book. Can you guess what it is? Uh, I haven't seen the film yet, but I think I already know what it is just by that. Which, 
Here we go. Spoiler, I'm guessing it was all just a dream, which I hate that. Uh, and besides, it's a bit much to subject the audience to 90 minutes of incoherent opticals and then expect them to retrospectively forgive you on the basis of a last-minute wave of a magic wand. Yeah. Yet, even with these faults, Vampire Blue bears a trace of that special Franco magic. A ghost in the digital machine seeping out between interpolated video frames. The sadness of Franco, the delirium, his oddball attitude to time and space... These aspects of his talent eke out in a tenuous survival in the electric purgatory of vampire blues, like microbes clinging to life on alien rocks. The scenes of Rachel wandering the streets of Torremolinos are curiously desolate, as is the footage of her sunbathing alone on the beach, surrounded by obvious tourists with whom she never interacts. Certain compositions are rather beautiful, in particular Marja's magical preparations to battle Irina. Franco positions the camera very low while Romay towers over it, her magical apparatus of candles, pillars, and a cut glass bowl arranged symmetrically in front of her. In the background, a ceiling fan spins ominously, stirring memories of the Palmer household and David Lynch's Twin Peaks. Frequent cutaways to a curious lenticular ornament are weirdly effective, too. The shifting pattern on the surface creates a pseudo-vaginal shape, which Franco accompanies in the soundtrack with a variety of strange guttural moans. The device never interacts with the plot in any way, but it's an agreeably freakish element that helps to counterbalance the mundane with the bizarre. Likewise, Peter Timburi's non-sequitur role as a servant-come-victim of the Countess, he's sort of a character Jose Lamas would have played in the 1980s or Ramonar did in the 70s, and his comically terrible guitar playing as he serenades his mistress is one of the few in- intentionally funny elements in the film. Despite a few jarring elements, Franco works his magic on the soundtrack, too, by assembling a haunting montage of bird cries, wolf howls, and looped echoes, strung together with a dizzying selection of old music cues by Daniel White. If Vampire Blues had been shot on film without post-production video effects, it could have been something special. This potential is certainly there, but if you have to really want to like the film to cut it too much, so much slack. But you have to really want to like the film to cut it so much slack, yeah. For the vast majority of viewers, I suspect it will seem like just another antechamber in Jess Franco's video hell. Which I'm sure I'm going to be in that group right there. Alright, cast and crew. The lead actress, billed as Rachel Shepard, is actually Raquel Cabra, a member of the production team since Tender Flesh, and the partner of production manager and vampire victim Pedro Timburi. She went on to appear in Blind Target, Helter Skelter, Las Flores de la Passion, and Flores de Perversion. Franco on screen. Franco plays a t-shirt vendor with a neat line and ominous pronouncements. It's a small scene, one of those something-is-sinister moments which adds and infant paranoia to a supernatural story, but Franco nails it perfectly. Music. In addition to the Umangis, the soundtrack includes tracks from a series of albums Daniel White, Daniel J. White called Monologue Poor, or Monologue 4, F-O-R. White made four albums with this title, released between 1968 and 1976, and Franco draws freely from all of them. In fact, during the credit sequence, he gets so carried away that he ends up with three monologue pieces running simultaneously. Monologue pour Siffler, Monologue pour Violon, and Monologue pour Clarinet Bass, with Bass Profond from Mystery Blot thrown in for good measure. Later we hear Monologue pour Harp, 
monologue pour Clavaclin, monologue pour Contre Boss, monologue pour Oreg de Barberi, and monologue pour Saxo Tenor, swelling and rolling to the mix. In addition, Franco, or his sound editor, blends together long echoes of owl hoots and wolf cries, processing the sounds until they become abstract and mysterious. Pulling together this multi-track spaghetti of sounds and solos into a coherent mix was quite an achievement. Locations, Hotel Aloha, Porreto, and Torremolinos, and the Torremolinos Seafront. And finally, Connections. The film begins with a bogus quote from J. Sheraton Lafau. Be careful, you. Lonely people are the best prey for searchers of blood. The comically discordant grammar is enough to trigger one's doubt, but if we check Lafano's lesbian vampire story, Carmilla, the only reference to loneliness is this, in which the heroine, Laura, speaks of her meeting with Carmilla. I took her hand as I spoke. I was a little shy, as lonely people are but the situation made me eloquent and even bold. So yeah, it looks like quite a difference there, so definitely not there. So, All right, well, that's the uh, write-up here for this film, Vampire Blues, from the book Flowers of Perversion. Um, hang out past the break, and you'll hear the little commercial we did for the Blu-rays, which we now have seven Blu-rays for sale. Uh, which are Mondo Sacramento, the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1, and the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 2, uh, the Nudie Cuties double feature of Desires of Dawn and Mondo Visions, the feature film Lady Hyde, which of course is my remake of She Killed in Ecstasy, uh, Emmanuel in Sin City, Sukiban Octopus Pot, and coming soon, She Knows Feratu, but that's a little bit of ways. Um... You can also uh, check out Lady Hyde playing on Tubi and Amazon Prime. You can watch another film of mine, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is playing on the mighty Tubi. So yeah, check out Mondo Sacramento 2 or Lady Hyde on Tubi. Every time people watch them, I get a little bit of money, so that always helps. Uh, If you also care to help me out, you can find the donation page on the Red Circle homepage. Uh, It says how to support this podcast if you've enjoyed this podcast now going on three years this october uh throw a little money and that would be appreciated uh you can always subscribe we're on apple Podcasts, google podcast spotify the soon to be defunct stitcher radio public and many more of your favorite radio platforms uh if you want to you can also leave a rating or uh, review the podcast on any of those pages i'd greatly appreciate that Also, if you want to share the news of the Franco Observer podcast or of Desperate Visions Productions, please do so and uh, tell a friend about uh, Lady Hyde, Mondo Sacramento 2, Emmanuel and Sin City, Desperate Visions, Blu-rays, any of that good stuff. Uh, We also have Blu-rays on sale at the great place called Grindhouse Video. Uh, They have a store in Knoxville, Tennessee, and a online store as well, uh, Grindhouse Video. If you write them, ask for the Jason Rudy collection, and uh, you can do that. Or, of course, you can get the films through me or through my own storefront. So check us out there. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, you also can. The email is francoobserver at yahoo.com. Or if you want to check on the Blu-rays, you can message me at desperatevisions at yahoo.com. 
We also have a Franco Observer podcast page on Facebook and a Franco Observer podcast page on Instagram. So check us out there. So, all right. Well, I think this is going to be a solo review by yours truly because uh, I'm trying to knock these out and do these once a week. Although, as you know, these one-shot productions are kind of a trying process and I'm getting ready to start pre-production on the uh, Amityville Aliens, the Amityville Killer, and uh, that's going to take up all of August, so um, I'm still going to do one of these a week to keep on my pace, but uh, I'm going to let you know this is becoming a job, So, but we're almost through. We've got to persevere, so thank you to those who have written me to tell me that they dig me doing the podcast still, even though I'm kind of going through my own suffering for this, So, but hey, we're all made to suffer, so all right, hang out past the break, and you'll hear my review of Vampire Blues. Buenas noches, Maha. Buenas noches, Hi. This is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year. 2023 from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel in Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel and Sin City is on the Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels. And Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have... The Short Films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process, Volume 1, interview by Cameron Cloutier of yours truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions, Volume 1, we have the films Room 412 from 2007, The Last Road to Hell from 2008, Chump Change from 2010, and The Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 2, we have titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions, we have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone La Femme de Monde from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff also we have a late night nudie cutie cinema double feature featuring two films two nudie cutie films from yours truly 
titled The Desires of Dawn and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes, unrated. And Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p, high-definition widescreen, and all discs are AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu-rays. The Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS, uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So yeah, brand new film, so check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from 2022. It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p, full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo, and that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a Lady Hyde behind-the-scenes photo gallery. And, uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region-free, by the way, so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... Actually, no, it's the um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondal G, who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have... Uh, and then, of course, with myself as well. So we have writer, director, and... Uh, actor commentary on that and then we have uh, a never before seen behind the scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool nobody's ever seen that before so that's a special feature on that and a behind the scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012 and uh, yeah so that's available all six releases, which is 13 films total, are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each, plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. 
Uh, if you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you can write me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. That's DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, and if you want to purchase all six in one swoop, I will give you a discount, and uh, pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling. So, yeah, please support fellow independent cinema. And this is a one-man operation, so I sincerely appreciate your support. So, yeah, once again, Emmanuel in Sin City, Lady Hyde, Mondo Sacramento, the late-night nudie cutie cinema double feature, and the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, with lots of special features. So pick them up today. DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. review portion of episode 151 film 167 vampire blues and i hope you re enjoyed the little uh dvd blu-ray commercial before this review uh, i need to update that because i know i now we have um Sukibon octopus pot 15th anniversary special edition that's out and that's not included on the um commercial there so all right well i just got done watching a vampire blues and i will say um i enjoyed it a little more than uh dr wong's virtual hell or uh uh what was the other one Frankenstein lust for frankenstein or mari cookie i thought it was uh wasn't bad it wasn't great of course but it wasn't bad um it's kind of a low rent Vampiros Lesbos, which is uh, itself has been copied and changed a few times, uh, like uh, um, Macumba Sexual and a few other films. He can basically redid uh, Vampiros Lesbos into those. So, yeah, it wasn't bad. A little bit of uh, Night Half a Thousand Eyes with uh, Lena's character is kind of like the fortune teller from that. And, um, like I said, Vampiros Lesbos kind of like that. So, it wasn't bad. Um, a little too much coloring of the solarization of the blues and reds, and uh, the voiceovers were kind of bad. I watched the American version, which is shorter. The DVD I have is the um, Soberosa Blue edition, which um, doesn't really say on, or maybe it does. Yeah, it does. Special edition DVD features the American and the European versions. The European version is uh, 90 minutes, and the U.S. version is 67 minutes. So, yeah, 23 minutes difference. I figured I'd go with the shorter one, even though it's got the bad voiceovers on uh, the Raquel Cabra, Rachel Shepard character, uh, which was pretty bad. But so anyway. All right. Well, here's the synopsis for the film uh, from the book Flowers of Perversion. 
and then I'll go with my review notes and the Frank Observer checklist. Didn't take a lot of notes on this because there's not a lot to it. You know, it was the 67-minute version, so it wasn't too much. But I did, I did watch a few things and and uh, take a few notes of what I saw. So, All right, here's a synopsis. A lonely young woman on vacation in Malaga spends her days sunbathing on the beach or walking along the seafront. Never speaking to anyone, she drifts without aim or purpose. Gradually, she becomes aware of a lurking presence tracking her every move. The Countess Irina, a vampire, has spotted Rachel, recognized her loneliness and vulnerability, and intends to take advantage of her. While shopping along the seafront, Rachel stops at a small tourist stall and buys a screen-printed t-shirt emblazoned with a picture of a vampire woman. Unbeknown to her, it depicts the Countess Irina. When at last Rachel is drawn into the Countess's embrace at her mansion, they spend a night of lesbian passion together. The next day, Rachel goes to a gypsy fortune teller's afternoon show at a venue on the seafront. The gypsy, called Marga, immediately detects a malign agency holding Rachel prisoner. Sensing the mark of a vampire, Marja offers to help the young woman, summoning her magic, which involves the ceremonial blessing of a giant black phallus. She sets off to Irina's mansion, gathering various leaves and herbs on the way, and taking Rachel with her. They confront the countess, but the vampire seems to get the upper hand, and Marja appears overwhelmed, throwing Rachel onto the vampire's bed as though sacrificing the woman she was supposed to be helping. It's all a ruse, however, when the two women are rolling around having sex. Marja waits for Irina to be on top, and then plunges the black ceremonial dildo into the vampire's vagina. Thus staked, Irina expires in agony. Rachel awakens from sleep. She is still sitting on the beach where she had been before. Was it all just a dream? So it seems, until she looks at the t-shirt she purchased earlier. Instead of a picture of the Countess Irina, it features a photograph of herself with vampire fangs. So yeah, that's the film. So it's actually, uh, the write-up's really good right there because they really sum it up. It's a little more um, thoughtful and uh, stated better, I think, in that review than actually as the film uh, pushes forward with the um, with the deal. So, um, but yeah, um, let me see. Okay, so uh, that's that. Let me go through my notes. Um, I watched this course, the sixty-seven minute version. Um, I thought it had bad opening titles. Uh, there was no space between the names or the jobs. Like it would say, Jess Franco, all in like running together letters. No space between Jess or Franco. No space between Lena and Rome. Uh, no space between like director of photography and the person's first and last name. It was just all t- together like like a run on sentence, which I thought was kind of bad. Um, also, too, they had the font with uh, black. Uh, boxes behind it which blank, blacked out parts of the screen they should have just did uh, black font or white font onto the image instead of boxing it because it cuts off the image and it looks really cheap looking and very um, uh, amateurish which I know Jess is way better than that so I think that was just a little style thing that I didn't like but uh, you know it wasn't bad um it was a nice opening, the beach setting and the music and how it went through. It kind of reminded me of a vintage Franco, just the panning of her walking through town, walking along the beach, the kind of jazz music by Daniel White, and uh, seeing the people and the setting. It reminded me of the classic Franco, which I thought was nice. 
Um, and of course, there's nudity right off the bat with the lead actress uh, n- nude sunbathing on the beach. I didn't catch the minute when it happened, but I say it was like in the first two minutes or so. Um, of course, they had the uh, bad music by the Ubangis again. Uh, let me make sure that's. Yeah, the Ubangis. It's the vampire blues song, which was really bad. Uh, kept talking about the fire down below. It just bugged me so much. Um, so, yeah. Fake, fake cramps bang the Ubangis. Their music's on there. The, the Daniel G. White music's good. I liked the sound effects of the mixing of the birds with kind of voices to make it sound like a weird sound. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. He did some nice sequences where the... Um, the screen was black and white and like the vampire was in color or only one thing was in color and it actually looked good. It didn't look too, too cheesy or anything, uh, compared with later on when he did the, uh, blue tint on everything and the red tint over everything, like a solarization that looked kind of bad after a while because it blended in the face and the nose and it just, it didn't look good. I, I've, I've, um, experimented with that in some of my films and I could see it didn't work so I didn't use it but Franco went ahead and did it so yeah um, so yeah but I thought the, uh, the black, it was a nice scene when uh, the vampire is kind of dancing and he frames her in like this little jar that he's filming behind to give her the impression that she's in the jar and only the vampire was in color and the rest of the sequence was in black and white and then he has a doubling effect where she's sitting there and then her image is still dancing in the jar those two are in color. The rest is in black and white. And there was nice little touches like that, which which I, I, I did note. Um, you know, if something's good, I, I like to think it's good. I don't like to sit there and slam everything because as a filmmaker, I know how hard it is to make films and, and the, the work that goes into it. I'm not one that likes to just sit there and trash stuff, you know, because believe me, I'm a Franco fan after doing 151 episodes now of the film, um, of the podcast, you know. If I was here to slam, I would just not do any of them. So you know, I am I'm a big Franco fan. So that's why I say it's it's hard for me to watch some of these because I know how good he is and has been, and to see the stuff he's doing in this time is a little a little sad for me. So, so it's like seeing a a girlfriend or a spouse or somebody that you cared about and they're just kind of slumming it. And you're like, oh, you're better than that. You know, don't don't do this. So that's why I'm the way I am. Um, Let's see. Um, there's odd effects to get the vampire spell. Analia. Um, okay, odd effects to get the vampire spell. Oh yeah, so she, so she gives the spell uh, to the woman, kind of like the like the mental link, like they did in Vampiros Lesbos and in uh, Macumba Sexual, where you see her like kind of sitting there, and this time she's like sitting on the bed masturbating the vampire woman, and then the other woman's laying in bed, tossing and turning, and they have like a mental image link. They give this odd effect where uh, you see this picture that's on the vampire's um, uh, headboard or uh, deal above her bed, and um, kind of the shelf thing, it's like a picture of like almost like a, a circle with a line in there, and it's kind of like a solarized look, and Frank likes to zoom in on that and kind of show that, and then he gives this effect of where he's kind of stretching the image to give her a kind of an odd kind of a effect to give her spell, which he did the same thing in the earlier films, but he didn't do the video effects on those. And it looks better when you don't do all that extra fooling around, trying to be snazzy type deal. And this, I see what he's trying for, but I didn't think it looked good. Um, when she was dancing and masturbating and that stuff like that, it just looked kind of odd. It made her butt look really long, like all the way to her legs, which was kind of weird. 
Um, one thing I liked, he had a nice close-up shot of a music box a few times, the little woman and man dancing. It gave a nice effect that he's used in past films, and that was more of a throwback. And then he shows this nice close-up of a painting, and then as he pulls back, it's on the truck, which was kind of odd. It threw me for a loop, and I thought that was nice. Those two backpack shots were, were nice. Um, seems like it's mostly silent all the way through with music and overdubs until about 18 minutes long when the first, this is on the American American version, when the first actual voice you hear is Franco's. Uh, before that, it's the woman, but she's overdubbed by somebody else, and it's always when she's not seen or you see her back and hear her voice and stuff, so it's all silent until you hear Actually, Jess Franco is the t-shirt salesman, which is pretty funny. Um, and he sells her the Vampire Blues t-shirt, the screen, uh, silk screen one, which is pretty funny. And unfortunately, like a lot of these earlier one-shot production films, there's quite a bit of slow motion in here. Not as much as usual, but that definitely he could have used less of. I mean, she does use less of than other films, but still too much. Uh, the blue look, blue filter, the solarization effect, and the red filter, too. A little too much. Um, like Stephen Thrower said, if he used it from the, from the vampire's point of view, it would be one thing. But then to show it in other following shots where it's the vampire's in the shot, uh, it does kill the effect. And I've noticed that on other films, too, where I've made that point of using a look from one person's perspective and then carrying over through to the continuity of the scene takes away from its effect and kind of kills what you're trying to go for. Uh, and that's another good thing for other filmmakers like myself as well to learn from is those mistakes. So, um, I like to lean a stage show as the fortune teller. Like I said, I'm kind of a throwback to uh, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes, um, which was pretty good, except they used the, the blue filter on her and everything too, which kind of killed it. But it was cool. I liked it. A couple people in the audience, like six or seven, something like that. Um, could have had more people, but it, it was good for what it was. I liked the, how Lena looked in that how she was dressed, her performance. Uh, and then, of course, Selena kills the vampire with the black dildo. Uh, and then when the vampire's staked, it makes some strange kind of overdubbed bird noises, which is pretty odd. And Lena tells her, go to hell! And she stakes, shoves the, vamp- shoves the uh, black dildo into her vagina and then pulls it out. And she starts, like, biting on the head of the of the uh, dildo. And it's kind of like sucking off the blood or biting it. It's very odd, so... Uh, yeah, so that was about basically all my notes on this film. Uh, let me go ahead and knock out this Franco Observer checklist. This is going to be a shorter episode because, uh, I don't know, I don't want to sit there and talk too much about this film because I don't think there's any reason to. Uh, all right, so Franco Observer checklist, of course, if you listen to this show for many times or numerous occurrences, you have heard this checklist uh, that I've acquired and put together over the, since the beginning of things that pop up quite a bit in Franco land. Uh, sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. As time goes by, they seem to be less and less, especially now that we're getting close to the end, but I still like to preserve it for our prosperity. So here we go. Number one, body of water. Yes, the film opens with a body of water. Number two, sailboat. No sailboats. Number three, boats. Yes, the opening sequence. You see boats, and later on it's boats, which was a throwback, of course, to Vampiros Lesbos because that opens up with uh, body of water and boats as well. You could tell he was really trying to ape that film as this one. Uh, Number four, uh, palm trees. Yes, palm trees in the film. Number five, jungle sound effects. No jungle sound effects, but he uses sound effects of the birds and other animal noises to give for the vampires and stuff, which is pretty cool. Uh, number six, chained up person. Nobody's physically chained up or tied up in this film. 
Number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Well, no dance scenes on a stage stripping, but you do have the Countess Irina dancing in her room. Uh, not really stripping, but just kind of wearing see-through clothes and showing everything. So, I don't know, maybe partial points on that, but nothing. On, there's no stage show of a stripper in this film. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing or a couple's dancing or a bar scene. No, you have um, Lena as the fortune teller doing her stage show, uh, but that's kind of in a club scene, but not really. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, unfortunately, you have the Ubangi's shitty uh, rockabilly music, but you do have some Daniel J. White kind of cues and a little bit of jazz music. So, yeah, a little bit of that. Number 10, excessive zooms. Uh, yeah, a lot of zooming in, zooming out quite a bit. Almost not every sh- every scene, but probably nine out of 10 scenes, a lot of excessive zooms. Uh, 11 out of focus shots. Yeah, there's a couple out of focus ones when he's trying to do some of the shooting through glass uh, jars things, which is kind of odd. Um, and a few other shots where it's out of focus. Number 12, mirror shots. I uh, didn't really catch any mirror shots in this. He shoots through glass, uh, the jars and stuff like I just mentioned. But no interesting mirror shots in this. Uh, 13, mind control theme. Well, you have the mind control of the vampire to uh, the lead actress, but uh, that's about it, really. No kind of a, a machine where she has mind control, but she's the vampire's mind control. So I'll, I'll say yes on that. Uh, 14, magic tongue scenes. No, Lena doesn't show the magic tongue. Uh, the woman, the vampire woman, doesn't stick her tongue out and lick or anything. It's more kissing and stuff, so... I'm going to say no on the magic tongue. Not that I caught at least. 15, red light. No, no red light, but red tinting. So uh, I'll say no, but still there's quite a bit of red in here. 16, sheepskin rug. No, masturbation with a C item. Um, no, Lena sticks the black dildo in the woman, but it's not a C item. Unless you say cock, but no, I'll say no. Uh, 17, Mad Scientist and Servant. No, this isn't a Mad Scientist film, so no Mad Scientist and Servant. 18, Fish Tank Shots. No. 19, Talking Parrot Shot. No, no, ah. no Talking Parrot. Uh, 20, In Credits, Yes or No. Yes, there's uh, some at the end. Uh, what we got here? 21, Handwritten Notes. No, no handwritten signs. Nothing too cheesy. I mean, it's cheesy, but nothing like that. 22, a small spiral staircase shot. No spiral staircases in this film, so. 23, inept cops. No, no law at all in this. And 24, belly chains. No belly chains. 25, kinks. Um, hmm. Didn't really catch any. It's more about the vampire masturbating, trying to get the woman under her control, and then it's very minimal, so I'll say no. 26, great headboards. No, uh, there's like some, there's the, the bamboo headboard again. The frame of the bed, that's about it, but nothing too snazzy. Uh, 27, fear or desire. I'll say desire because uh, the vampire uses desire as the woman, so that's the desire on this. 28, acoustic guitar player. Yes, there's a funny guy playing a guitar for comedic effect, and the vampire kills him later, so he's like a, one of the slaves of the vampire. 29, reading a book scene. No, nobody reads a book or falls asleep or is sitting around reading a book. And finally, number 30, pee scene. Nobody talks about having to go pee, peeing on anybody, or anything that has to do with pee, even though it was funny. Uh, when I watch other films, I start seeing the Franco checklist. Like I watched Friday the 13th uh, at the Dreamland Cinema the other night, 
and there was a scene where Lady goes, I gotta go pee, and leaves, and there's a book, seen as somebody reading a book, there was an acoustic guitar player in that, uh, there was inept cops in that, there was uh, some pretty funny stuff, so I was laughing, there's some of the Franco checklists and other films, so, yeah, so, there is that, that wraps up the Franco Observer checklist, so... All right, well, uh, I think this is going to be a shorter episode on this one, uh, looking at about maybe close to 20 minutes on this part. And then, of course, I think we did about 20 minutes on this top half and then the commercial, which will be uh, under an hour on this episode. Sometimes you have some that are two hours plus, some are an hour long. This one should be under an hour. So uh, as we're jamming through doing these shorter films in the video era, we might have some shorter episodes, especially when they're singular efforts by myself with no guests so but uh, we will have some guests coming up for the last few episodes of the broadcast i know i've spoken to three people that have two that have been on before and one new person that's uh been asking to jo- to join in before it goes away so i'll be happy to uh have those three on as guests um i will say that uh Kali is one of the ones returning of course she'll probably be on i think for the helter skelter episode and maybe one more and then uh, my friend jeff who's been on a few times is going to come back and uh do one episode i talked to him the other day about it he's he's down to do it and the new guest he will have to hang out and see but he's somebody that has worked with me on the music on one of my other films so we'll be happy to have them joining us as well so All right, uh, stay tuned for the next episode next week, which will be Red Silk, Sedia Roja. So we'll see how that is. Um, Oh, yeah, one last thing. Um, When this podcast is done, I will be selling some of the Jess Franco films that are not my favorites. So I'll probably be selling about uh, maybe 10 to 20 titles. So if you're interested in those, get a hold of me and... uh, I'll put together a list of what I'll be selling and what I'll be charging and uh, all that good stuff. So if you have some Franco films that you're looking to pick up on DVD that are out of print or impossible to find, Jason will be your seller. So get a hold of me at francoobserver at yahoo.com or on the Facebook or Instagram page at the Franco Observer Podcast. And uh, definitely will be a lot of the uh, these last 10, 15 titles of the, of the run. So be on the lookout for that. Buenas noches, Maha. Buenas noches, Maha. Watch a Desperate Visions film. <laughs> <laughs>